Hello and welcome to Studio Class. I am Megan Enan, your host and diva sidekick. Wondering how to build your singing career and still make enough money to survive? It's not always easy, and we certainly didn't cover this during Studio Class at school. However, I'm here to give you the micro-actions that over time will transform your relationship to your career. Let's do this. joining me for episode number six. This episode is brought to you by 29 Days to Diva from the Sybaritic Singer. Have you been checking out the newest seasons of the blog post? I hope so. We're taking a new format this year that follows the hero's journey, or the diva's journey as I like to think of it. If you've been checking it out, drop me a line and let me know what you think. This is a big year over in Sybaritic Singerland. I'm also taking the leap and bringing you 29 Days to Diva the course. This course is designed for you, divas. These are the micro-actions that will transform your love affair with your career. Be one of the first people to hear about the launch by visiting bit.ly slash 29 days to diva. In this sixth episode, we are talking about Gertrude Stein's Parisian Salon, the members of your singing team, classic stages of team development, and finally, traits of high-performing teams. I've got my coffee... And here we go. Can you imagine it, divas? Paris, between the wars, with the French economy booming from 1921 until the Great Depression reached Paris in 1931. This period, called the Crazy Years, saw Paris reestablished as a capital of art, music, literature, and cinema. It kindled a collection of the world's great literary, artistic, and creative minds working around each other and spurring each other on. Paris of the 20s was a fertile moment in time and place that brought all the right elements together to attract and inspire the artistic mind. Paris did not suffer from the same puritanical restrictions as the U.S. did at the time period. So artists and intellectuals migrated to the City of Light, finding there a freedom of existence and an exhilaration of thought unlike anywhere else in the world. It's not so much what France gives you, said expat Gertrude Stein. It's what it doesn't take away. James R. Mello wrote about the Stein Salon for the New York Times book section. He wrote, quote, On a typical Saturday evening, one would have found Gertrude Stein at her post in the atelier, garbed in brown corduroy, sitting in a high-backed Renaissance chair, her legs dangling next to the big cast-iron stove that heated the chilly room. A few feet away, one could hear Leo, her brother, expounding to a group of visitors his views on modern art. Among the crowd of Hungarian painters, French intellectuals, English aristocrats, and German students, one might pick out the figures of Picasso and his mistress. The man with the reddish beard and spectacles looking like a German professor would be Matisse. Next to him might be the poet Guillaume Apollinaire. In the American contingent, the familiars would be the Patricks, Patrick Henry Bruce, and Alfred Maurer. 
both of them early advocates of the modernist vision, and both, at the same time, followers of Matisse. It was Alfred, in fact, as Gertrude recalled, who held up lighted matches so visitors could see that the Cezanne paintings indeed were finished because they were framed. However, in the 20s and 30s, it was no longer the pictures, but Gertrude's fame as a literary expat and her radical, uncompromising writing style, delivered in a stream of abstract, highly syncopated poems and difficult word portraits of her friends, which brought the genuinely interested and the merely curious to her door. In the 1920s, Stein's lively literary and artistic salon attracted a growing population of young American expats whom Stein called the lost generation. Lost, she said, because they had been too young to fight in World War I and therefore had found no political or social cause to inspire them. The famous names at the Stein salon were apt to be those of American writers Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Sherwood, Anderson, and Thornton Wilder. By the 1930s, Stein had gained a reputation as a literary innovator, but her works were read only by a small audience, the writers who frequented her salon, the readers of the quote-unquote little magazines in which she published, and her circle of Parisian friends. She longed for a wider recognition, however, and decided to take the advice of some American friends and write her memoirs. When the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, named after her partner, of course, was published in 1933, Gertrude Stein at last found the fame that she had sought for so long. This witty, gossipy, and irreverent memoir created the public legend of Gertrude Stein. And this, my divas, is the inspiration for today's studio class assignment, which is to create your singing team. So Stein, during her salon years in Paris, cultivated an entourage of thought leaders. She was inspired by them, encouraged by them, and motivated by them. She may not have thought of them as her quote-unquote team, but those are exactly the kind of relationships we're talking about when I encourage you to create your own singing team. It has been widely published that the impact of peers on productivity and decision-making has been studied in a diverse range of settings from workplace to migration decisions, and conceptually, the peer group can affect the individual in various ways, including creating positive external influences and allowing the individuals to take advantage of creating products or services within that community. These benefits are also present in the production of music. For example, musicians can learn from observing one another and sharing performance slots to increase exposure at the very least. The best place to start your own singing team is in graduate school, in my humble opinion. Grad school can often be your own version of the Stein Salon. You are in a close community with people often in your similar age group who have very similar goals and aspirations. Your entourage doesn't have to be set in stone, not at all. In fact, your members don't even need to know that you consider them part of your group. Although, it is more helpful if they are committed to you, too. After academia, you can interchange the members as appropriate. The reason I suggest you start during school is that you are more apt to find those at your own level with which you can grow over time. These are some of the people I consider in my singing team. First, your teacher. 
Your teacher is often a charter member of your singing team. They are going to provide mature mentorship to your pursuits. They should have helpful information regarding your career path and your skill level. A teacher can help give a a healthy awareness of your talent and potential. Parents usually pick the first voice teacher, and most likely the undergraduate teacher is assigned to the singer. Therefore, young singers are practically unfamiliar with having to evaluate a potential teacher when given the option or when they're outside of an academic situation. I have always said that voice teachers are one part instructor and probably two parts therapist. (laughs) Singing is a very personal thing. You must trust the person you have chosen to help develop your voice as well as being an encouraging force. The voice is an anatomical musical instrument. Your teacher must innately understand the body, especially because they cannot see the mechanism working from the inside. They should understand what all the specific muscles are doing while producing sound. Just because you were born with your instrument does not mean that you understand how to use it effortlessly. Oh God, if that were the case, then wouldn't we all be at the Met? (laughs) A well-trained outside eye and ear will be able to help you identify how you are manipulating your voice and give you the techniques to build your true sound. Remember that repertoire is different from technique. Find a teacher that will help you with your technique first and can apply the appropriate repertoire to your needs. And as you advance, this will likely change. You will likely work with someone when you already have the repertoire that you're going to be singing and you're actually, you know, booked for gigs and things like that. And you'll take your repertoire to that teacher and say, these are the questions or concerns I have. Can you help me work through these ideas? Now, I know there's probably an entire podcast episode on just finding the right voice teacher, so we'll get to that at some point. But let me wrap this part up by saying some teachers will only want to work on the voice while some will be able to help you with your larger career aspirations. Whatever their personal style, make sure that you are working with a teacher that believes in your product and can give you their stamp of approval. I cannot tell you how important it will be to work with someone who is readily willing to give you a letter of recommendation particularly as your voice teacher. And if you are working with someone as a voice teacher who isn't willing to recommend you for something, you need to sit down and ask yourself some hard questions why you're working with someone who wouldn't put you up as a a recommended option. Next on your singing team is your coach. Your opera coach is often an underestimated resource on your team. This person will give you oodles of insight into language, style, and repertoire choices. In fact, one of the most valuable courses I took in graduate school, professional opera coaching, required that you meet weekly with two coaches, one a vocal coach and the other an acting coach. The idea being that you would bring audition materials or roles that you were preparing and coach them in an environment focused on the individual. Coaches are trained to help you with the specifics other than vocal technique, which is the domain of your voice teacher. A good coach can help you clarify your opinion and artistic direction within the context of an aria or an entire role. To be clear, a vocal coach is not the same as your voice teacher. A voice teacher provides instruction on vocal production and technique. If you're planning on working with both, it is polite to tell your voice teacher with whom you will be coaching or even ask for a recommendation. 
A solid voice coach will be a stickler in helping you refine your understanding of the musical elements such as rhythm, dynamics, and style. Most vocal coaches are particularly adept at language pronunciation. Unlike some foreign language teachers or native speakers, they are keenly aware of the difference between spoken and sung language and help singers navigate the gray areas. Many coaches can help singers develop good practice techniques and comprehensive role understanding, and that is practically invaluable these days. Be wary of anyone that simply accompanies the voice and does nothing to correct or further your musical understanding who bills themselves as a coach. Without that, the person is acting like something of a repetiteur or an accompanist who repeats and rehearses the music without further instruction. Your vocal coach is going to be a tenacious and unyielding watchdog for your communicative power, and that is what you want them to be. Find someone you can pay that will do those things for you. The point of visiting a vocal coach is to put your arias or roles under a microscope and acquire as much feedback as possible. This does not mean that you should expect your coach to spoon feed you all of the interpretation and style. You need to present the materials with opinions already formed and then be willing to refine and move forward as needed. They will watch for that inappropriate glottal on the entrance, or a maligned portamento, or moments where you seem to be running on autopilot. Vocal coaches may bring these many details to your attention so that you can become more prepared and secure in your vocal depiction of the character. And that brings us to our accompanist. You will also need an excellent pianist on your singing team. Finding a great collaborative pianist that you can work with consistently will be advantageous throughout your musical career. Just look at all of the, the romantic partnerships, the marriages of singers and pianists around the world, and you will realize just how neatly or how wonderful that relationship can be. So Catherine D. Johnson has a stunning quote regarding pianist and violinist collaborations in her book, Accompanying the Violin. She writes, quote, when friends accompany each other on a walk, no one can tell who is walking with whom. Thunder accompanies lightning, but neither one overshadows the other. This is also true when a pianist accompanies a violinist. Neither part is more important than the other. Both parts, together, make up the whole piece, and that's how the composer intended it. End quote. So find yourself a wonderful collaborative pianist who is ready to do the work with you. Now moving to the business and social aspect of your singing team. Being friends with your colleagues is desirable. However, not all of your singing colleagues will become singer friends, and not all of your singer friends will be on your singing team. Determine which singer friends you have who you consider equally part of your collective. You trust and recommend their musicianship, work ethic, and their support. Having both local and non-local singing friends on your team is beneficial as well. A local friend that you perform with often has the ability to see and hear your performances and give you feedback immediately. A non-local singing entourage member will be able to help you identify trends in different locations or give you feedback from a distance. Make sure that you are able to respect each other and everyone's unique journey. Shout out to my Diva Squad girls as well as my Sanger Summit here because I definitely wouldn't enjoy walking this path as much without them. 
Each person must be able to speak his own goals and ambitions. Your singing team isn't a therapy group, although it might feel that way. (laughs) You are not trying to quote unquote fix each other. This is a deep and powerful internal process, and we need to pair ourselves with people that understand that. There is no one right way to do it, and love is important. Be kind to yourself, be kind to one another, be kind to the people on your team. It's also important to diversify your influences. So this is where other creatives come into play on your singing team. Can you include other creatives in your singing team, such as writers, poets, filmmakers, animators, dancers, actors, directors, even tech types and entrepreneurs? Remember, Gertrude Stein didn't have only literary figures at her salon. It started with painters and poets and and everybody that felt like coming to her door. (laughs) So it's so important to think about a wide range of influences. So sharing discussions and brainstorming sessions with other creative class members will provide a compelling reason to create new work. You will want to share your big, audacious ideas with them, and they will in turn share in your excitement. These creatives will fuel your desire to do more good work, to up your averages because you observe their work. Sharing is your ticket to the process of witnessing what others are doing. Let me say that one more time. Sharing is your ticket to the process of witnessing what others are doing. To gain insight into the creative process, into your creative life, through the shared frustration and breakthroughs of others. Another benefit of working with other creatives, and not just musicians, is that it will significantly widen your circle of social influence. By simply being a good colleague, your other creative friends will want to introduce you to new people who could be possible collaborators and potentially lead you to new audiences. Now, you may have musicians in your family, and that might be make this a subsection of the singing team similar to your singing friends subsection. However, having non-musician friends and family is incredibly helpful for one basic reason. They remind you that not everyone does or is interested in what you do. And that's kind of a, that's a sad way of looking at it if you, if you only think of it in a negative light. But it can also be a very positive way of thinking about it. Because these friends and family members can help you keep things in perspective. They are important because musicians simply cannot live in a conservatory bubble and expect to draw crowds to their performances. You must be really good at what you do and be a shepherd for the art form. These non-musician friends will likely be early members of your 1,000 true fans. They will become ticket buyers because of you. There is no general public, folks. It is you. It is you and the influence that you are building that inspires people to come to performances. If you don't know the people in your audience, it's because you are trading on someone else's influence. You're trading on the company's influence. You're trading on the other singers in the cast's influence. You're trading on the composer's influence. Think about it for a moment, though, and decide how responsible you'd like to be for growing your own influence and growing the art form. Can you be a more productive member of the field by growing your influence and bringing more people into what we do, what we love. 
So on the flip side of that, your non-musician friends are also important for sharing their expertise and talents with you. Your butcher, your baker, your candlestick maker will have so many interesting things to teach and give you. Do not neglect their life experience just because they aren't following the professional musician track. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone about what they do in their lives and suddenly I start to make corollaries between what they do and a character that I'm playing and I never really realized it until we got deep into that conversation and I said, oh, and not to only turn your friends and family members into character study or role study, but think about how valuable that information is, that you're really living it. You're getting to see them breathe that life. You're getting to see them understand and really feel those things. And you can kind of pick up on all those little things and bring that into your performance. All of that to say, your singing team can now be greatly improved by understanding a team's developmental stages. Noting the ingredients for their success and exploring the broad range of team leader behaviors that can facilitate performance. So stages in team development bring up a lot of important questions, particularly in the creation of new teams. Discernment is critical in this stage. Some of the questions that often arise are, who should be included on your singing team? And we kind of went over that a little bit. But another question, whom can I trust? That's really up to you. Look through those names and see what starts to come to the surface. It's a powerful and crucial question. Whom can I trust? And then, furthermore, what ground rules do we all play by on this team? That might help you be a little bit clearer on who you trust. Or, what contributions will each person make? When you're thinking about your team, you will likely start with the who performs which roles on my singing team question. And names of people that fit the descriptions I outlined a little bit earlier in this episode might be floating through your mind already. That's great. I hope that helps you start to think of your singing team as a more cohesive unit. As your singing team begins to emerge, you may notice some classic stages of team development. The first being forming. At this stage, team members share personal information, start to get to know and accept one another, and begin turning their attention toward the group's tasks. This is the part of your team development when you're actually starting to learn about these people. You're gathering more personal information. This is where you're building your trust because you can't just jump into a team member relationship and suddenly trust them with everything. It just doesn't work that way. We're just not hardwired to trust that quickly. So the forming stage builds these relationships and then you start to appreciate that a relationship and then you start to bring that onto your kind of metaphorical singing team circle in your mind. Second, jockeying for position. Issues of control may crop up fairly early. It may be hard to recognize this when you're in school and just getting to know yourself as a singer. You'll probably notice that some of your team members compete for status in your decision-making process, or they may argue about appropriate directions towards your goal. If your singing team all know each other, this may be a more outward experience. Hopefully, if that is the case... They are mature adults who are actively working together toward your musical goals. If your singing team does not interact socially, you may feel some of their opinions creating tension in your mind if they contradict each other. 
well, my voice teacher says this, but my coach says that, and I don't really know. And that's that jockeying for position. I don't really know which one of them to trust on this one. And you need to start sifting that out. And that leads us to the cooperation stage. As those various opinions start to shift into place, the team begins to move together in a cooperative fashion and a tentative balance emerges. A cooperative spirit starts to blossom as people figure out how to give their best to the team goals. This is when those thoughts and opinions start to find their way into a balance in your mind. And you say, oh, yes, I'm definitely going with this in this area and this in this area. And performing is the next stage. And no, this is not like performing as in how we perform, performing on stage or anything. This is where the team really starts to hit their stride. Roles in the singing team are performed and exchanged as needed and tasks are efficiently accomplished. This may be even more mental than actualized for you as a singer, because this is the stage where you know who to go to for each need that you have. You, your singing team, is committed to your growth as you are to theirs. This is where you're really clicking, you're really firing on all cylinders, because you're performing as a team to, your, to the best of all of your strengths. And unfortunately, groups will disband at some stage. You can consider this stage adjourning. Your singing team may require adjourning or dissolving certain relationships over time. At some point, we all work with new teachers or collaborative musicians. And that's a good thing. And people know that ahead of time. It just kind of sucks in the moment. Now would also be a good time to ponder... How do we resolve conflicts on this team? How do I think about resolving conflicts on my singing team? There will clearly, clearly be times, divas, when you do not agree with one another. How will you stay focused on your shared goal, even if you are no longer together? It can be beneficial to think about how to exit these relationships with poise and grace. There are times, like I said, you are all going to disagree with each other, and don't let the, the fire of disagreement turn into this blaze that burns down your whole singing team? How can you interchange members when it's time to experience different relationships together? This feels a little uh, dating workshoppy right now, <laughs> but I don't mean it that way. It can feel that way, though. <laughs> so finally, I want to talk about the team aspect of your singing team. High-performing teams usually exhibit an overall team purpose. They act as accountability partners for each other, and they tend to have collective work products. Furthermore, teams have shared leadership, high cohesiveness, collaboration in deciding task assignments and procedures, and a collective assessment of their own success. A team's performance can often be improved by the development of leadership skills and tools for running more effective meetings. But in our singing team life, we're not always tackling meetings together. You can follow the through line that I'm trying to make here, though. If you are working with a teacher who is a luminary in the field, and you have learned from an acting teacher who has considerable experience, as well as mixing in a a superior collaborative pianist or coach, You can only imagine that your collaborative success will be demonstrated through better audition results because you are all working to the best of your ability at your chosen 
your chosen work, your chosen, your chosen objective. While business teams think about preparing an agenda, clarifying the objective, soliciting minority viewpoints, legitimizing questions and critical thought, testing the support for a tentative decision, and identifying specific action plans, we can swap out that corporate jargon for our own musical vocab and get to work. So here are how these signals of high-performing teams can relate to our own singing team. Let's go back through those traits of high-performing teams. First, our overall team purpose. And under your overall team purpose, you find shared leadership. A singing team is not meant to be a pyramid structure with you at the top and everyone else supporting you. It's more like a bunch of different hubs and spokes. You're the hub for your own team, in your mind, but you're the spoke in someone else's team. Shared leadership in this way is recognizing that everyone you consider as part of your singing team is a hub or a leader and a superstar at exactly what they do. And let's be clear, your overall team purpose is that everyone is successful. That brings us to the word success, like in collective assessment of their own success. So to be clear, a team self-regulates toward success, which means that the team will keep highlighting the strengths of its successful members and probably downplaying the weaknesses of its not so strong (laughs) team members. Your team and the way that you think of your singing team in your mind is going to self-regulate to the people who provide the most benefit to you. You will go to those people time and time again because they are the ones that provide the best stuff for you. And, and really, a singing team can provide a lot of direct and indirect communication about how successful you are in being, well, in being a part of their singing team as well as reaching your own goals. So start to filter in the information and the feedback that you're getting from your singing team, that direct and indirect communication, with a little bit of that understanding of, oh, this is telling me how successful I am in reaching my own goals, as well as how successful I am in supporting them in their singing team. That brings us to accountability partners. (laughs) A singing team has high cohesiveness because like attracts like. You will naturally feel motivated by people who share similar values and goals to your own. That breeds cohesiveness and trust as a team. When you have that cohesiveness and trust, you can rely on each other for having the tough conversations. When you really need to have that what the heck am I doing with my life conversation, you can readily turn to someone on your singing team. They not only get you as a multifaceted human being, they understand your goals as well. Now, collective work products is where a singing team really starts to take off. Remember that line I shared with you earlier about Gertrude Stein? Quote, Stein had gained a reputation as a literary innovator, but her works were read only by a small audience. The writers who frequented her salon, the readers of the quote-unquote little magazines in which she was published, and her circle of Parisian friends. She longed for wider recognition, end quote. It was her friends that helped her figure out how to attain that wider recognition. She drew heavily from her partner 
from her partner and her friends to achieve that success. And Gertrude Stein would not have become such a recognizable name without the effect her team had on her. More than the effect and or the inspiration that your singing team can provide, you can actually collaborate on projects together. When you join forces with your singing team members, suddenly they're sending you gigs and you're getting interviewed for their podcast, (coughs) studio class, (laughs) you're commissioning a composer together for a solo voice recital, you're starting an ensemble that will take the classical music world by storm, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So think about right now your, your singing team. What collective work products have you already created together? And what collective work products do you kind of have bubbling up or you see at the, at, the, at the fringes of your singing team that could be a wonderful project together? Take some time and think about that today. All right, divas, you've heard it said before that it takes a village. And the simple truth in that statement is that we are only one person and we have only 24 hours in a day. When we combine a reliable and skilled team of people, the effort can be exponentially broadened. Because you intrinsically trust the people on your team, they can provide you with valuable feedback that you will actually heed. (laughs) As you start to become more clear on who, on the who that makes up your singing team, you will be surprised at how you help each other achieve your collective goals. A veritable dream team indeed, divas. And that brings us to the close of another Studio Class episode. I just want to take a moment to thank each one of you for being a member of my team. I am really thankful for the time you spend with me. And I'm going to leave you with one final thought from Andrew Carnegie. Teamwork is the ability to work together toward a common vision, the ability to direct individual accomplishments toward organizational objectives. It is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. And with that, till next time, divas. number six of studio class brought to you by the superatic singer many thanks to juanitos for the music featured in this episode hey divas did you know there is one very simple way you can support our show to ensure we keep producing more content simply head over to itunes and give us a rating first subscribe to the podcast and then you can rate the podcast by selecting one to five stars if you enjoy the podcast then please consider giving a five-star rating this takes less than a minute to do And with each new rating, it only boosts the visibility in iTunes for Studio Class. It means a lot to me and to the show. Higher ratings means greater discoverability. Thanks for helping me do my part to be a shepherd for our art form. Do you have any questions about this podcast or the information I've presented here? Please go to SybariticSinger.com and get in touch. 